So in today's conversation, I'm talking to Mark Herbert. Mark and I have known each other for many years. Mark's moved recently out of the village where I live, but he's also set himself up in a different guise, looking at leadership. He's just written a book called I Am Not a Leader, with not crossed out, which you can check out. But actually in this conversation, we're going to talk about some really interesting things that just resonated with me. So listen out for the way Mark talks about curiosity. It's the second time I've mentioned curiosity in a week on this podcast, but I think it's really valuable to understand how does curiosity drive our intent and how can we listen better because of it. Also listen to Mark's points around white space, which correlates with some of my thinking around black time and how we can all put white space in our diary to make sure we actually pay attention to the things that matter to us, that help us step up for the future. Mark has a great book choice at the end of the podcast, which I know you love, and it's one that I've not read fully myself, so I'm going to go back and read. And we talk about, I have a voice, and how do I bring that voice to the world? So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Mark Herbert, my guest on the show today. Enjoy the show. And once as usual, let me know if there's other people you feel would work well as guests for this show, bringing purpose back to business and leading with humanity. I'm Phil Rose. I'm your host. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Sparks by Ignium podcast. I'm Phil Rose, your host, and today I am with Mark. And Mark and I first met way, way back, and we can't decide whether it was at Keep Fit or in the pub afterwards. But either way, Mark Herbert and I have had conversations about many things to do with spirituality, business, life in general um, for many years. So I thought it was a great opportunity to get him on the show to talk about what he does. He helps people understand their uniqueness and releases their potential within them. And I think that's a, an interesting phrase. So I'm going to talk to Mark about that. He also uh, has set up a new business and written a book, which we'll cover off. His business is leaderful.co.uk. We'll cover that, but we'll talk about his book as we go forward. So, Mark, welcome to the Sparks Baconium show. Thanks, Phil. It's great to uh, see you again and great to be with you. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, it should be good. It's long, long overdue. So, so you said there when I asked you what you do, you said help people understand the uniqueness. Um, a lot of people talk about that. What is it you bring to the world that enables you to do that? Tell me a bit about how you got to where you are and why you do it. Yeah, thanks. Um, I, I worked a long time as a school teacher, um, or a long time ago, I worked as a school teacher, and, and I've done a lot of work with young people. And interestingly, that's often got me thinking about um, what makes people the way they are. Because so much, I guess, of, of the people we are as adults is formed in our childhood. So I guess working with young people as a teacher, um, as a pastor in a church, um, leading a youth charity, um, and then some of the work I do now in business with young people in schools, uh, I guess just watching young people, they really excite me and they teach me an awful lot about myself and get me thinking about uh, my uniqueness and they really inspire me to want to help them. So I think working with young people has been one of the big inspirations. Mm. Um, and I guess, yeah, just... Every person I meet is different. And I remember a number of years ago speaking to a friend who was a bit more of a mentor, I suppose. We used to go and have a pint together uh, every, every month or two. And we'd talk about anything and everything. And he's a great friend. I remember one thing that stuck. I've never forgotten. He said, you can learn something from anyone. And I never, ever forgot that. And ever since he told me that, I've always tried to give people more of a benefit of the doubt than perhaps I might have done before. Mm. And just look to learn from what I can. And I guess as I've tried that posture in life, I've realized everybody is unique. Yeah. Um, and it just, people fascinate me. And I think life's all about relationships. Um, and yeah. so I guess that's sort of the driver for really trying to release uniqueness in, in other people. I love that. 
And I love that point, you know, everyone's unique. And I think there's a there's a lot to be said for that. So when you said, you know, helping people understand their uniqueness, because often people want to hide from that because they, they want to fit in. So they don't want to be unique. They want to be the same. But, you know, you, you and I are old enough now to, to understand that actually that's irrelevant. You know, as a, as a school kid, you know, most, most people grow up want to be part of the gang, part of the clique. There are some that stand outside, but most people want to be within. So that thing that you're bringing to them, help them understand their potential that helps them become me. I think that's a really valuable point. I'll give you, I'll give you a powerful example of it. When, I, when I'm working with business leaders or with um, pupils in schools or whatever their age, I always run an illustration that I find works quite well. We can do it now. You know, hold out your thumb, Phil. And we, we look at our thumb and I ask people, do you know how many people are living in the, on the planet? And you get all sorts of different answers. And I think it's around 7.8 billion at the moment. Yeah. And I say, well, here's the amazing truth is that nobody in the world has a thumbprint just like you. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not a scientist, but I, I did some research on this. And even if you're an identical twin or a triplet, you might have a lot of similarity in your thumbprint, but nobody has one just like you. And I then always ask the question, well, what does that really tell you about yourself? Mm. And for me, that's the, that's the doorway into getting people to recognize their uniqueness. And then when it comes to something like leadership, which is what I'm really passionate about, it's really helping people see that you can lead out of who you are and every person's leadership will be as unique as they are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just find that amazing. And I, you know, I've had the privilege of working in, in some very poor countries of the world, um, teaching children who live in slums, for instance, and you realize they have a thumbprint and whether they live in a, in a wealthy suburb in London, uh, whether a child lives in a wealthy suburb in London or they live in a slum in Kampala in Uganda, this illustration still stands that we all have a unique identity. Mm. Um, and mm. that just really excites me about releasing potential in every individual and not writing mm. somebody off. Yeah. I, I think there's a big point around that, about that, you know, not writing someone off. And you said just now that, you know, you can learn something from anyone was what your mentor told you over your, 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 your sessions with him and talking. Um, and a lot of people don't recognize that. And, you know, they, they, they ignore someone or, or, blank them because they don't think they can learn from it and what you're saying there is that you can learn something and therefore that uniqueness comes out and you can help people be as unique as their thumbprint and you know here's the funny thing you can you can learn something from someone you really don't like or someone who's um you know spending time in their presence is not what you would choose so i remember sitting next to someone at a wedding once you know how sometimes when you you go to a wedding and you get placed with somebody you know I don't know whether the host thinks that either you're good at talking to anyone, I'll stick you there, or whether they yeah. can strike up a good conversation. But this was this guy, and at the time, he was probably 20 years older than me, and he was just waxing lyrical about himself and about his business acumen and all the money he'd made. But he spent the whole evening talking about himself. Yeah, yeah. Now, I didn't really enjoy the experience, but I remember what my mentor said, you can learn something from anyone. And I came away just thinking, never, ever be like him. You know, don't go to a wedding and talk about yourself show an interest in other people so you know you, you can learn from people who inspire you and people who you really love I think you can equally learn you know from people who you find difficult um yeah. I, mean, I don't know if you have you had experience of that film um positively or negatively it's interesting actually I actually had that experience exactly this morning and it was working with a client so I've been working with a client face to face which has been a great experience uh, and it's a young person who's setting up a business. And, and if he listens to this, when I say young, you'll know who you are. Um, and he just worked with a company for the last eight months. He left another business been with, that he'd been with for a number of years to join this other company because he thought it'd be a good opportunity. 
as soon as he joined it, he, he realised it wasn't a good fit, despite the fact he'd, he'd done his due diligence on it. And when he arrived there, it wasn't right. And that was right the, the case because they'd brought in a new CEO and this CEO had been brought in purely to sell the business. And this, to do this, this CEO was purely about the numbers. Everything was about margin, irrelevant of who you are. And what this person said to me is that he just didn't gel with this person. So, so this, the person who had been brought in to sell the business was purely about let's just grow the profit Let's make sure the numbers work. So when we sell the business, it's worth something. But people were irrelevant in his view. Mm. And what this client of mine said to me was actually, uh, there was just no energy between two of them. Or there was energy, but it was the wrong energy. So the two of them were clashing. Mm. And I asked him that question this morning, what have you learned from it? And he said, you know what I've learned? is I've learned how to build business plans that make sense. But I can then tap into the people side of it to make it really valuable. So often I talk about businesses being a mix of commercial and cultural. And that, you know, the commercial side is just drive the numbers, but actually it's the cultural piece that makes the value. And so, so what he was talking to me this morning resonated. He said he didn't gel with this person, but he's learned some amazing school of thought, but he also knows that's not him. So there was a learning there. And so I, I agree. We've all heard it. And it's interesting. It just literally was in conversation three hours ago for me. I think there's a big value piece there. I think the other thing that strikes me is, is why this really matters is, I don't know what your experience has been, Philip, but with, with COVID and all these various lockdowns, I think in some ways, I think it's restored or restoring humanity to business. Mm. And I think people have realised how much they value each other and all they need to. Yeah. I think people have valued human contact. And, and I think the, the humanity that I at least sense that's coming back into relationships and workplaces and the sort of rhetoric that, that goes with leaders, I think is a really positive thing because... It's not just, say you're a boss of a company, you're not just valuing your staff or your headmaster of a school, headmistress of a school. You're not just valuing your staff for what they do for you. Mm. You're valuing them for who they are as people. Yeah. And, and, and that's just a wonderful thing because, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, I think there's a bigger pandemic in the world than, than COVID in many ways. It's certainly been around longer and it's this unfavorable comparison thing. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. You know, I, I suspect this happens for adults, but um, you see it in, in young people. But there's this sense of constantly comparing ourselves unfavorably with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know uh, um, somebody who's a good family friend who is um, in the mid-teens now, and she's beautiful, she's clever, she's popular, she's got everything going for her, yeah. but hates herself. And you ask the question, well, why do you hate yourself? And actually, so much of it's driven by the kind of social media thing and her trying to be someone that she's not and trying to mm-hmm. fit in at school. You know, I, I did some work with some young people earlier this year, and um, I was just quoting some statistics. I went on the website Young Minds. It's mental health, great yeah, okay. mental health um, yeah. charity working with young people. They said that their, the hits on their website amongst young people during that first lockdown went up 40%. Wow. And the hits by parents um dialing in for support to help troubled teenagers went up 70 percent so those numbers only to go by it's a massive problem and i suspect although those problems are ruining their head in in you know adolescence i suspect that a lot of adults go into the working workplace and are just constantly comparing themselves to other people mm. never satisfied with the job or the income always wanted to be someone they're not and it it t- takes away so much of the joy of the work that we can do yeah. because we're constantly looking for the next thing yeah um, i think i think there's a big thing you know, again come back to this about putting humanity back in a business 
to me, this is exactly what we need to be doing. We need to bring humanity, and that means bringing back the unique personalities. Um, my last podcast I recorded was a lovely lady called Judy Kratz, um, and we were talking and talking about diversity and inclusion. Uh, and that podcast, I'm not sure when it's scheduled to come out. So if you're listening to this, it will come out at some stage. This is for Judy Kratz. Um, but we talked there about how actually we should be celebrating difference, and too many businesses recruit in their own mold in the past. So so she used the example of, you know, typical law firms in America would only recruit from typical Ivy League schools. And she, when she looked at, you know, those Ivy League schools were recruiting the same people they've always recruited. Therefore, the law firms were built up with the same people. And that's just a generic example of it. And I think the, the bit that Julie and I talked about, which is really key to this, is actually, if you want to put humanity back in this, you need to look at the difference and, and treasure everybody's difference. Because we can all bring something to the party that's different. Just because I'm different to you actually doesn't make me any lesser person than you. Actually, we can all do things together. And I think this is a really key point around this humanity. And um, it troubles me when I hear that you know, 70% of adults have been looking onto the Young Minds website. Um, because I think there's two things behind that for me. One is they, they're concerned about their young people. But also, I think those adults are also concerned about their own mental health as well. So there's a double whammy there. And I think this is something that we all in business, you know, this podcast aimed at business people, but actually, as I said to you previously, it's aimed at people in general. We have a, a, a duty to look at how do we build diversity? How do we, how do we celebrate the culture that we've got to build that up? And actually, if we can put humanity back into everything we do, and, and you touched on that point earlier about um, the pandemics you know, created an illness for some people, but actually there's a bigger illness out there, which is this mental issue that goes with it. I think that's where we need to really be focusing because then we can deal, deal with that properly, then we'll be able to achieve something. And at the moment, we're not there yet. There's I'll tell you a story. Not long ago, uh, um, I met with a group of guys. We sit at our house around a fire pit once a month and just have some drinks and, and, and hang out. And it's always a slightly different group. People bring their other friends. And we were just sitting around the, around the fire a month or so ago and everyone was just sort of introducing one another to each other and saying what we did. And it got to one guy and... You know, there'd been, you know, a, a, a doctor, a lawyer, um, a businessman, uh, a couple of execs. And then one guy just said, I'm just, this was his phrase, I'm just a lorry driver, a binman. And it really arrested me because as mm -hmm. people were going around this fire pit, I think he was probably feeling quite inferior because here are mm -hmm. these sort of, in the world's eyes, these high-flying people in these jobs and that jobs. And he described himself as just a binman. But here's the fascinating thing. We all latched onto that. None of us actually knew what he did for a living. And it was really lovely because everyone started asking him questions about his work. And we learned some fascinating things about lorry wow. drivers and wow. how the actual lorry that picks up your, you know, your wheelie bin, how it actually works and the technology involved and how technical it is. And, and none of us knew. And, and suddenly something that was quite kind of arbitrary that typically we might just sort of, to our shame, maybe ignore the binman who comes round. Just yeah. they do their job and that's that we suddenly realised actually it's a really fascinating career. And mm. my goodness, imagine if our society had no bin people. And, and so suddenly we, we, we turned this sort of, we turned this guy around a little bit and we tried to really affirm, you're not just a binman, you're doing an amazing job. And actually we've spent the whole evening listening to you talk about what you do because it's completely fascinating. And this is a guy who, who gets rid of rubbish for a living. Yeah, I, I, and I, I would just, um, as you talk about that, thinking about a company that we work with in scaling up, I haven't personally worked with, um, but it's a bin collection company in, in Ireland. And they've looked at how do we promote the world of bin, the bin world. Um, and they are now, you know, they're, they're really trying to make it into a, 
a job that people want to do because of what they do. And, and they found out other people were coming to this, this world of collecting bin for different reasons. And they discovered in, in one of their things that one of the, one of the bin women was training for, to become a world-class boxer. And he was using the collecting the bins as his way of his training rating because he would be running between places collecting bins. So he wasn't just a binman. He was actually doing this thing for them. And I think there's a, there's a fascinating piece there about you're not just a binman. Mm. And, and it sounds like you as a group sat up and listened and learned something from it. So, so, so here's a thought for you in that case. Not all people do that. You know, you, you've got a very open mind, Mark, and you mentioned just now, and I want to touch on some of these in a minute. You know, you've been a teacher, you've been a pastor, you've been a youth worker, you worked in schools, you also talked about Uganda. So you've, 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 I use the word, you've been around a bit. What's the key skill you think you bring to enable you to have a conversation with someone who says, I'm just a binman? I think it's, um, well, I mean, like all of us, I suspect we've all got lows we can learn, but I, I love people. I'm actually quite an introvert, which might surprise people. So I'm really comfortable being in front of groups. I've done a lot of public speaking, but I do find people tiring. Mm. But it doesn't mean I don't like people. And that's sometimes, you know, the unfair stereotype of an introvert. Oh, they don't like people. I actually love people. Uh, I just need space at times to process things. But I think I've had a a life so far, at least, that's been quite broad. And what that led to is meeting people from all walks of life regularly. And um, I think just listening to and and rubbing shoulders with people who are different to me in all sorts of different contexts, you learn a lot. Um, Mm. I do some uh, some listening coaching now with people. And one of the things I put to them is, I ask them kind of how they're doing on their curiosity levels. Okay. Just, just being a curious person. So, you know, for instance, if you and I are having a comment, I'm not the best listener in the world and I'm learning all the time. I can teach the theory on it. And I know when I see a good listener, I'm just not great at putting it into practice. My wife's much better. But I remember you know, hearing someone who was teaching on listening and they said, imagine you and I are having a conversation and you're telling me about something. Most conversation is what? you could call sort of intersecting monologues kind of phil's talking and i'm not really that interested listening to phil i'm just waiting for phil to take a pause or take a breath and then i'll tell him what i want to say yeah but this person was saying if you have curiosity when phil's telling me about something and then he stops just pause and then ask Mm. what you could call a curious question say phil's told me x what more could i now know Mm. and what that does is it teases out of someone more information or more insight that perhaps you wouldn't have gained and then ultimately yeah. it can then turn around and they might become curious about you and yeah. it adds a depth to a conversation but i think a lot of our conversation is that sort of intersecting monologue we're not really listening yeah. to each other and yeah. i think working in, a, in a, a wide range of environments all my life it's just taught me the beauty of people who are different and ultimately you know it's trying to develop those communication skills and that ability to listen and learn from anybody and a lot of that's i think a posture thing rather than a technique that's interesting it's, it's an attitude of saying yeah. i'm not superior to you i may have things i want to share with you and you might be able to learn from me but i want to put myself in the same place yeah um, and I, i'm definitely no expert yeah. on it but one thing i try to do phil that helps me in that is when i mentor yeah younger guys i always tell them it's not a mentor mentee relationship i always say we're just standing alongside as peers because if you have that posture of saying as much as I might want to help you because you've come to me and asked for some help I actually want to learn from you yeah I feel that just helps facilitate a conversation where one person doesn't feel inferior 
Yeah. And, and, and I love that, that, you know, it's not a mentor mentee. It's more about standing alongside each other as peers. Um, there's been a lot of talk about this in business over the last few years. And I don't think a lot of people do it very well. Um, where actually we can all learn from each other. And I think the key example of this at the moment is, you know, me as a 50, almost 51 year old, um, and age has nothing to do with it, it's just fact. You know, I don't know technology as well as my younger, pe younger peers. So actually I can learn a lot from them. And I think some way, you know, a lot of businesses out there can look to recruit younger people to learn upward as well as learning downward. Mm. And I think we, we, we all could be open to it. Let me just come back a bit there as well. I think one of the ways to do that is that that curiosity you said there, because a lot of people will pick up their phone or pick up their computer and go onto whatever they use, and they use it for the basics. They're not curious about how to use it. And I think the same as the mind. I think a lot of people are not curious about their own mind, their own physique, their own ability. So, so in some ways, you know, coming back to what you said at the beginning, you know, you want to help people understand the uniqueness. I think there's a big thing there about helping people understand other people's unique, uniqueness as well by asking those questions, be, by being curious. You know, as a, as a coaching tool, one of the questions I ask is, tell me more. Mm. Tell me more about that. Mm. And to do that, I've got to listen. So I know when I say, tell me more about that, I'm pointing to something and say, tell me, bro, tell me more about that, Mark. Mm. And I've got to be open to the answers and unattached to the outcome. And I think that's one of the big phrases I always say, you know, oh, open to everything and attached to nothing that's that's really helpful yeah thank you that's really helpful and there's so much we can learn from people who are different to us um yeah i mean to go back to the the point you made earlier about um you know learning from people who are younger and recruiting younger people I, i've read a lot of kind of blogs and again i guess sort of frustrated rhetoric from maybe people maybe 10 years older than you so the back end of their working life right who um Sorry to make you feel really old. You, you <laughs> I sat back like, there and gasped. <laughs> you've still got your best years ahead of you. You know, but guys in their 60s who probably, you know, will work for another five years, maybe 10 years, and they express a great frustration at some of the millennial generation who are coming through. And there's all the sort of negativity around this generation, you know, the rights culture, and some yeah. of it's certainly true. Um, but a lot of it is actually just that the millennial generation want to work differently. Um, yeah. So I read some research recently by Forge Leadership, and they were saying, you know, a lot of the millennial young people and leaders, a few things are interesting. They mentioned that more and more young people want training on the job and mentoring. They don't want these traditional away days, you know, once, twice a year that ticks a bit of a box. They want ongoing weekly mentoring mm -hmm. where, where a senior you know, leader in an organization, as we said earlier, walks alongside. Yeah. They, yeah. they also express a sort of increasing blur between home life and work life. And that's why a lot of workplaces now are being set up with gyms and cafes. And, you know, you don't just turn up at work at your office, clock off at five or six o'clock and go home, but actually mm. you stay and eat together or yeah. you go to the gym together. I think these are just behavioral things. And what struck me is that for some of these more senior leaders who were getting frustrated at it's not like it used to be, mm. if they had a mentor who was younger than them, or they tried to really understand the psyche of, the millennial generation yeah some of these frustrations will actually be turned into opportunities because there's so much opportunity to tap into that generation but you've got to understand them yeah i i, I love that and i love that thing about having a mentor younger than me but to do it you've got to understand them in the first place the, the, the issue i think is sometimes we don't need to understand we just need to look at what we can learn from them because you know i i i, I look at my 15 year old daughter and think maybe i'm not going to understand her way of doing things 
And that's okay. I just need to allow it and don't judge it and just take it as, hey, that's the way it is. You know, see, I always use the phrase, see the world as it is, not the way you want to see it. Yes. If you can just look at someone and say, hey, that's what they do. Learn from it. Look what it is. It may work for me. It may not, may not work for me. But just be open to it again. I think there's something there. Um, you, know, you talk about you know, blurring the home and work life. I think this is going to be a really interesting thing with you know, businesses slowly going back after the pandemic and, and requiring people to go back in at different levels. Um, some people are going to be very anxious about that. Some people want to go back in because they want to meet people. Others are thinking, hey, I've just discovered a really great way of life for the last 15, 16 months, which means I don't need to commute every day. I can work from home. I can connect with my team on Zoom or Skype or Slack or Teams. It's all there. So there's, there's got to be this flexible way of doing things. And I think this blurring of home and work, I think, is going to get bigger over the next few years. And, and you know, I believe firmly, my view is that people probably need in some ways to be back in the office to integrate and work with people. But some people say, hey, how's that rubbish film? You don't need to be in the office at all. We work as a global team. We'll, we'll, we'll make it work. And I think there's going to be this, this differences of opinion across people. And businesses will thrive because of that difference again. I think, I think for me, I like the sort of blended model. And I think everyone has an, their own temperament. A lot of this is about self-awareness, knowing where do you work well? Because mm-hmm. some people need the motivation of getting out of the house. Yeah. Others don't. But... I think what's interesting for me is that with this blended model, there has to be more trust. And I think trust is a really great thing because if you trust your employees, you're going to empower them more. And then rather than kind of clocking in, clocking out, checking the hours they're doing, which is a tick box exercise. And I think really quite negative. You're saying what we're trying to do here is achieve a goal. Are you achieving your goal? And some people can achieve that goal in a much shorter space of time than others. And they yeah. shouldn't be disadvantaged for that. It should be about the quality of the work that we do, not just necessarily. Yeah. You know, I, I read somewhere recently that we have the longest working hours of anywhere in Europe and we're pretty much the most unproductive in the UK. And I don't know if that's true. It wouldn't surprise me if it were true. And, you know, I think if we can learn to trust people and, and not be micromanaging them. Yeah. You create an environment where people feel inspired and feel like mm-hmm. they're giving their best self and they're feeling they're contributing to the end goal. Yeah, they're not going to need motivating. Yeah, and, and and you know this is music to my ears because this conversation really fits really well into my thinking around purpose. And a lot of people talk about this word purpose, but to me, having a purpose above and beyond making money is what engages people. And if you can get people to buy into your purpose, they get. If you can encourage, if you can communicate your purpose enough so people buy into it, actually they come to work because they want to be there. And therefore, they become part of a trusted environment. Now, I saw a post on LinkedIn recently where someone had put a note out saying, you know, the purpose of business is, a, is more than money. And this person, I don't know his name, came back and said, no, it's, not, it's just my money. I just want to make money. That's the only reason I go to work. Mm-hmm. And I personally don't believe that's the right approach. Now, that's my own personal opinion. Some people, yes, they do go to work just to earn money. And that's okay because they've got other things outside of work. But I think the great businesses out there, the ones where they can inspire people to do things, and therefore you trust each other. We can set objectives and we work towards it. Um, and that starts to drive a bigger culture around making people feel like they've become part of something and their trust works. Uh, yeah, and part of something that's bigger than ourselves. So I think that's where yeah. the real value of any organisation comes is when the organisation ultimately exists for the sake of serving other people in whatever way. Yeah. Whether it's, I don't know, a manufacturer who serves people by providing, you know, producing clothing or whether it's a, a direct service industry running a hotel that obviously provides people, say, on their holidays or business trips. 
mm. um, or in a school where you're serving the young people and training them up for the future. But if if we can create organisations that exist for more than just themselves, but actually exist for a bigger goal to serve other people, I think that it, it just opens up people's horizons and, yeah. and creates a bigger reason. Yeah, I think it's true. So I want to I want to switch tack slightly in that case because I, I was I'm intrigued by your book. Uh, and and those who don't know, Mark's written a book here, which I want to talk about a little bit later, um, in terms of what that means. Um, your book, you've written it there. It's 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 got a really interesting title as well, which I think is interesting. And you've crossed out one particular word. So your your book, and if you want to go for the website there, leader-full.co.uk, you can understand about it, and you can actually see what the book's about. But just tell me about where did the concept of I am a leader or I am not a leader come from? Yeah, so um, the title of the book is is I'm I'm a leader, um, but the word not is also in there, and it's got a big big red pen through it. Um, the reason I wrote it is that I'm, I'm an avid reader, and I read a lot, and I love reading leadership books. And I realised that there's an awful lot of stuff out there, good stuff as well as rubbish stuff, to yeah. support quality leaders. But what there isn't is an awful lot, I think, that will encourage people who perhaps feel. Uh, they're not a leader or ever could be. Um, and I guess I wrote a book that will do two things, I hope. The first is I hope it will inspire people who perhaps say, I'm not a leader. Uh, maybe the person mm. says, I'm not good enough. I'm not as strong as her. I'm not as clever as him. I didn't get the grades like she did. Um, I'm just not that fussed about leading. And actually say, look, we, we've defined leadership quite narrowly in our world. Um, leadership typically is seen... Mm to be the realm for the chosen few, you know, the ones who picked the school football teams rather than got picked last, yeah, and yeah. the ones who were prefects at school rather than the everybody else. And when we define leadership almost as this thing that a few people have, and it becomes really about position, Yeah, only a few people therefore can be leaders. And I, I spoke to someone not long ago who said, I don't get your book at all. Right. Surely there are just leaders, and then they're by definition of followers. And I think. Well, here's the reality. Of course, by definition, if you have a leader, you have to have followers because leadership is about influence and you're influencing people to follow. But just because someone's a leader in one moment doesn't necessarily mean that another person can't be a leader in another moment. And at the very least, we've all got to lead ourselves well, which is about yeah. understanding yeah. ourselves, um, taking responsibility for how we conduct ourselves. So I tried to define leadership in a much broader way and I define it in the book as ha having a positive influence on other people through right. relationships. Okay. And I mean, one of the interesting things is when I, I do this in schools, even with children as young as primary school, I, I put up four different caricatures of leaders or leadership, uh, but only one is really where I'm, I know they're going to be thinking as leaders. And I say to them, which one is leaders? And, and they point straight away to the top right-hand corner to that example and go, they're the leaders. Yeah. And then we explored a little bit and we talk about, well, they're the leaders who lead from the front, the ones yeah. who are naturally quite confident. But what could it look like to lead from behind and nurture people? Mm -hmm. What could it look like to lead up in quiet influence? And suddenly the penny starts to drop and people realise, gosh, leadership isn't about position. It's not even about force of personality. It's about influence. And you can mm -hmm. be an effective influencer if you understand yourself and then play to your strengths, which comes back to the thumb thing. Yeah. So I guess I read the book partly to inspire people who maybe have always been overlooked by a world that seems to define leadership too narrowly to say, come on, the world needs people like you to 
be the best version of yourselves. You can have a really positive influence. But the other group of people I suppose I've written it for is more seasoned, established leaders saying, okay, you're a leader now, but what are you doing to train up other leadership in other people? Okay. And rather than, you know, for instance, if you're in a company, rather than feeling you have to recruit the next leaders in, what about people who are already in your organization? And within them lies an awful lot of untapped leadership potential, but there's no opportunity for that to get aired, to flourish. And so the book's been written in a way that kind of can act like a bit of a, I suppose, a coaching tool that could help seasoned leaders, mentor less experienced leaders, but also could inspire less experienced leaders that actually, in fact, can lead. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you raise a really interesting point there about, you know, the, the school kids point to a certain group of people on that picture and say, those are leaders. But it also it comes back to that full circle piece that you said at the beginning. You know, actually, there's leaders within organisations and there's leaders within all they through. But the bit you always talk about, and you have a lovely model as well, which is, you know, know yourself, lead yourself, understand others. Because actually, if you can do that and actually understand yourself first, then you can get your message across. And I think, you know, if I come back to one of the Stephen Covey's quotes, which is seek first to understand, then to be understood. Because actually, if you can understand where other people are coming from and also understand where yourself is coming from right up front, you're able to get your message across because the next point you then talk about is communicate effectively. Therefore, you've got to understand where other people are coming from. And I've done some work over the last few years um, with, with the concept of design thinking. And one of the aspects of that, which I love, is about, you know, walk in the, walk in the shoes of the other person. Mm. Whatever you're designing, whether it's a program, whether it's a product, whether it's service, or just trying to understand people, walk in their shoes for a day. Walk in their shoes for a month. Understand who they are. Because once you understand them properly, you can then say, okay, I get it now. Mm. As opposed to just dictating this is the way it will be for you based on my world and my experience. So I love that point from you around, you know, uh, leadership happens at all levels and we all have to, uh, first of all, lead ourselves. There's a key point. I, I've, I've personally been quite inspired by Ben Francis, who's, you know, taken back yeah. the reins of CEO at Gymshark. And if yeah. people follow Gymshark, I really like his attitude and and what he puts out on LinkedIn. And one thing that really struck me last week is he he said he doesn't have you know a special room where he sits behind a big table and on a big chair in a big sort of glass kind of this is his own bit. They have sort of hot desks in in the offices, and he just takes whatever desk is available. And I think that keeps him in contact with his people. Yeah. So he he sees the world as they see it. But it also, I think, keeps him humble because he doesn't feel like he's above anybody else. And I think that's just a really good tactic yeah. personally and corporately is that he's displaying this very thing, saying, actually, I may be the leader of this whole thing, but there are tons of leaders in Gymshark. And yeah. I don't know, it seems quite a subtle thing, but I think it's a really smart move by him. Yeah, no, I think it's true, actually. And I think your, your point there was there are tons of leaders in Gymshark. You know, I, I, I must admit, I've never bought any Gymshark clothes. My kids have. They wear them. They love them, but I see them around in the gym and other places. So it's a brand that's worked. It's it's a young person who set up the business, got it to where it is. It, it, you know, billion billion pound plus turnover business, great opportunity as, a, as an organization. But that point there is, there's hundreds of other leaders within the organization, and I think so many businesses need to reflect that. And you know, when I talk about you know growing businesses and scaling them, we always talk about you know getting the talent, the capability, the culture, the skill set, all right to start with. The base of the pyramid has got to be supported by that. Mm. And actually, if you can recognize, you know, leadership training is not about helping you lead, lead the troops over the hill. It's about actually understanding how you lead yourself there first and then galvanize others to your way of doing things. 
Mm. Um, and I think there's a there's a lot there in terms of what it is you need to be doing to help you move yourself forwards first, because then you can step up and live away. And it comes back to that uniqueness again, holding up my thumb to you there. You know, our unique way of doing things is as unique as our thumbprint. We don't have to follow the crowd and do it the same way that everyone else has done. Uh, I, I always laugh when I look at, you know, my MBA is now 20 years behind me. Um, and, and I love my MBA and I won't put it down. I think that there's a great opportunity to learn. But often we learn from other people the way they do it. But if you think about it, there was a great book written by Marcus Buckingham called First Break All the Rules. And my view is, you know, sometimes people have rules put out there because that's how they've done it in the past. But those rules don't necessarily govern the way we do things today. So what I learned on my MBA about leadership in 2000 actually may not be the right way of doing things today. Mm. So be open to it. Just because it worked then doesn't mean it necessarily works now. And doesn't mean I can't bring my own style of leadership to the world. Yeah. My, fav- my favourite um, uh, chapter in the book is, I think it's chapter 46. So the chapters are very short, so don't get frightened if you're listening in. <laughs> each chapter is only four pages, and it's deliberately you know, short and pithy so that it's readable and you can listen to it as an audio now. But chapter 46, my favourite chapter is called Get Out of Your Box. Yeah. Be a lifelong learner. and. I think, you know, there's a danger that we can end up living in a bit of an echo chamber surrounded by our own thoughts and people like us who only ever affirm our way of thinking, our way of doing things. And what I've loved is you, you look at, um, for instance, Southgate and the way he's, yeah. you know, you know, done amazing things with the England football team. And I know everyone holds him up as an example, but I think it's with good reason. And when he started bringing in professionals outside from outside of the football world into the football setup, People were criticising him, saying he's lost the plot. What do they know about football? And his point was they know nothing about football, but they know an awful lot about people, an awful lot about life, and an awful lot about getting the best out of others. And it's that open mindset and getting out of the box that I think has led him to be really open-minded as a leader. And probably, you know, a lot of the fruit of his leadership has been that positive thinking. And Mm. so I, I always say to people, kind of, what would it look like for you to go to a place that inspires you or to go and spend time with a person who inspires you, who's totally left field and different to yeah. what you're used to. Yeah. And then how can you bring those insights and ideas back to your place and use them for good? Yeah. Have and, you had experience yeah. of that yourself, Phil, where you've well, kind well, of got out of your box and learned something that you weren't kind of expecting to learn? Well, that's a good, that's a good question. Have I? Um, hmm. The answer is yes. And I'm trying to think of a specific example. So, so when I was on the, conversation with Julie the other day talking about this it comes back to that word diversity again in the sense that actually we all could be looking outside of who we are coming out there you know the the traditional board where you know looking at other people coming onto it um but actually I'm trying to think for examples for me I think there's a couple of areas for me one one of my first projects I worked with back in 2006 I worked with an organization called Connections with a, with an X which is a UK government organization and it was about helping people who were basically from different areas of society step up and do things and it was about giving them skills and learning and I met some really interesting people on that program again it's 2006 I'm I'm racking my brains now as you've asked the question but actually it was a complete cross-section of society all of whom brought something to the party in different ways and I think I learned from each one of those about just how they saw the world differently now, I won't confess to have lived in their world at all because they came from very different areas. But actually, I could see some of the times that they were just bringing a different perspective on things. And, and you know, I, I look at it with my, my, my eyes and I see what I want to see. But actually, they see other things as well. And I think 
for me, I learned a lot from that work with connections right at the beginning, back in 2006, when I was very early in my business. And it was a training program we were running there. Um, and, and actually, when I think about it now, it was a program, program about assertiveness. And it was about enabling those people to step up and hear their voice mm. and realize that actually just because they were who they were and who they believed they were doesn't mean they need to be pigeonholed like that for the rest of their lives. They can be assertive and learn to love the fact that who they are is that different. So interestingly, you asked that question, and I think back at it, yeah, 2006, that's what I did with Connections. And it was, it was a very interesting role for me. It was a training program. But yeah, I learned a lot from that. Yeah, that's interesting. I love that, that you've got a voice. It's very interesting you said that because um, I do some communications coaching with people, and I was working, working with a finance director at the moment who has to give a, a lot of presentations and just you can do the numbers and is really good at that, but finds it really hard to stand up. Yeah. In front of people. And the first session I always do in my communications training with anyone, the session's called, um, I have a voice. Yeah. It's trying to help people. It comes back to the beginning of the book, you know, know yourself. Yeah. Don't yeah. try and communicate in an inauthentic way in the way that is not you. Yeah. You might be able to inspire through that softly spoken, thoughtful, well-paced conversation. Yeah. In just as powerful a way as that guy who can stand, or girl who can stand up on the stage in front of ten thousand people and and whip them up into great enthusiasm and inspiration. It's just very different styles of communication, and mm-hmm. I think one of the things that holds us back sometimes, not just in communication but in life, is that we forget that we've got a voice or we forget that we have a uniqueness, and and we we try and copy what we feel we ought to be or what maybe other people want us to be. Yeah. rather than just saying who is it that I am and what unique things can I bring to the table and how can I do it in a unique way yeah and I think it's just great celebrating that because there's yeah. so much diversity I, I I love that and again it just it makes it I'm very lucky having done these, this, this podcast now for the last 16 or 17 months uh, I've talked to, to lots of really interesting people um and, and one of the more recent ones I've just done with with my friend Adam Woods Adam is a, a camera confidence coach and Adam used to spend his life looking through the camera as a film director, watching what was happening and making sure he captured the image. But he's now gone the other side and he actually helps people now become more confident. Uh, and, and this podcast actually went out this week, so it's on my mind in that sense. Uh, and he talks about how people, people feel nervous in the front of the camera because it brings out some of their, um, their, their perceived inadequacies because they think you know, the camera never lies. And the camera does capture everything as it is and and the trouble is we interpret what we see and 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 just think of there i'm also reading a book at the moment which is a a great book which is new to me uh and it's called the inner game of tennis new to me it was written in 1972 i've just bought an original copy of it which is an amazing book to read um and there um tim gorby talks about having self one and self two and self one is what i would just call the ego it's saying the thing that sits behind us saying, Phil, you're not good enough. How can you step up there? How can you do those things? Who are you to stand up and talk to people about these things in life? And self two is that human body that's actually learned lots of things, but it's constantly criticized by self one. Mm. And I think what Adam, when he talks about his camera confidence coaching is how the ego gets in the way of people performing. And he, he, you know, he's used to work with lots of people from his past, but he's now working with, with, everyday people who are running their businesses and just want to step up and be more confident. And I think he helps them bring that uniqueness out in front of the camera. So then they can see it for what it is mm. and they can develop that voice for themselves. So they can stand up and you know, their voice comes across through his coaching in the same way you're talking about your communication coaching helps people realize that actually they do have a real uniqueness. 
Mm. I think it's part of the reason that, you know, when I read a lot of leadership books, and there are some great books out there, a lot of them will jump quite quickly to what I call the sort of stuff of leading, you know, how to communicate, how to handle conflict, how to um, build values, um, communicate vision. And these things are really important. But I think it was a tactical thing, really, of, of, of starting the book very deliberately, not jumping to those things, but actually working on the foundation. And then when you look at, you know, there are six sections in the book. Each section has got eight chapters. Mm-hmm. And the first three sections don't really do an awful lot of leading. You know, right. know yourself, lead yourself, understanding others. And the very first chapter, which again was a tactical thing, is called um, Slow Down, Spend Time to Take yeah, Time yeah. to Think. Love it. A lot of this was actually personal reflection. That I'm, I generally operate at quite a high pace and got a, a big sort of engine. But one of the coaching questions I put at the end of that first chapter is, um, is the pace at which you're doing what you're doing destroying the person that you're becoming? And that's a question I put to myself as much as anything, because I think sometimes we can be operating at such a pace, doing, 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 that we forget the kind of person that lies behind it. And if our identity is rooted in what we're doing, we actually become very fragile because when we're being successful, then we're something. And when we fail or we're not recognized, we're suddenly nothing. Yeah. If our identity is built around who we are, and we've actually slowed down enough to just appreciate who we are and recognize who we are and value who we are and indeed do this for other people. Mm. I think it gives a much stronger foundation from just charging from one thing to the next. And, yeah. and let's face it, you know, the world's speeding up. Um, life is a fast pace, isn't it? And I think, you know, quality leadership sometimes requires us to stop, mm. to slow down. Um, yeah. So in that chapter, I talk about white space and, and it, I sometimes deliberately put into my diary what I call white space which is space that cannot be invaded by anything else that is time where I'm I'm diarizing time to stop yeah yeah and then you can use that time in whatever way whether it be go for a walk um, read something um, just just something that's not sort of on task yeah it just slows you down and I, I found personally as someone who operates at quite a high pace it's been really good for me yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what how, if any of that resonates with you, Phil, but have, have you got sort of practices that help you to develop yourself as a person as much as your skills as a mm. coach? I, th- I think that's a good question. I'm going to come back to your white space in a minute. So I'm just going to park that question I was going to ask then. Um, have I got a question? Have I got practices? I think I have. I, um, I adopt something which I learned through an organization called Sherlaws many years ago. And within Sherlaws, we, we, we talked about red, blue and black time. And anyone who's met me will know I've talked about this a lot because it's the way I run my life now. Um, although my wife might argue about some of these things. So if you're listening to this, uh, I'll, I'll explain later. Um, so, so red and blue is the, you know, it's the typical doing, doing, doing. In a business sense, it's, you know, making money, spending money, making and making your product, delivering your client service, um, training yourself on how to do things. And the red is about accounting for it and doing all the back office admin. But the black piece is all about making time to learn, develop strategy in, in, in a business sense, build equity. So in my diary, every Friday, Friday morning is black time for me. Yes, black yes. time because I take time out and I do not let clients in there, although some creep in there occasionally because I feel I want to give them space, but I make it a choice to do it. But So, so for me, every Friday morning is personal development time. Um, so in the last four years I've been working with Dominic Monkhouse and Dom has extensively trained with scaling up 
So I've, I've been training on the scaling up processes. So if that's my Friday morning learning that, but also just reading, you know, I've got a pile of books on my floor at the moment, say on the floor, because the bookcase is full and that's just my learning time. Yeah. So I will pick one of those books. I'm reading a book at the moment called Resonant Leadership, um, which my, a, a good friend of mine gave me. And that goes into my black time on a Friday. And people will say, hang on, that should just be about earning money that time. But no, to me, it's not, because I know that by learning more, I can help myself become a better person and therefore I can deliver better value. Mm-hmm. The other thing I do as well is I also have um, I have other bits of black time in my life. And the, and the reason we say red, blue, black is um, if you go to any flip chart, I also put green there. Any flip chart will always have red, blue and black green pens. So it's right. easy to draw the model out with that. Green is all about culture, which is an element of black, which we can explain about another time. Um, but, but from my perspective, understanding that black time and making it valuable to me. So the other bit I put in is I have black every day, which is my own personal fitness and development. Um, fitness is really key to me because I, I have a view, fit, fit body, fit brain, fit business. But I know that actually to really support myself, I need to be fit mentally and physically. So I put time in my diary every day to work out, whatever that means. It might be swimming, it might be running, it might be cycling, doing my Pilates, which I do every morning. And also I keep a journal. So I spend 20 minutes, half an hour every day writing in my journal. And people say, why do you do that? And the reason I do it is because it helps me reflect mm-hmm. on everything that's gone on. And, and my journal is personal to me. Um, it follows a certain number of rules, which I do the same every day. But one of those is at the end of the day, I write down three great things that happened today. And I write down the letters, three G T T H D. Does that work out? Three great things happened today. T at the end. Um, because I reflect on what I've done. And to me, that helps me learn. It helps me. That's my white space. Because I can then reflect on what I've done and say, okay, what have I done and how do I want to improve it? And, and you know, I'm not scoring myself out of 10 because there's no judgment around it. It's just saying, did it work for me or not? Yeah. So to me, that's my own time. And I, I use the word religious. And, you know, you and I have talked about religion a lot over the years. I religiously do that. Mm. Because I know that gives me a step up to where I want to go in the future. So I think that's that's how I create my own white space. It's often, often though, hard to make sure that stays in my diary. Yeah. So that's why I black it out in my diary, literally, black time Friday morning. It's so important because I know that that will leverage me. And, and the reason I learned that is when I was at Rolls-Royce way, way back now, at the beginning of my career, Rolls-Royce were brilliant at developing and investing in me. So when I set up my own business, I knew I wanted to invest in me as a person. Tell me, become a, become a better person, better version of myself. But I knew I then could serve the people I work with in a better way as well. So long story um, short, the answer is yes. No, I, I love that, Phil. And I, I feel quite convicted because I think, I'm, I mean, I'm a, a sportsman. I love keeping fit. But that's probably the one thing for me, you know, starting a new business, moving house to a new area, um, young family. It's the one thing that exercise, the one thing which I have sacrificed. And I think to a mm. degree, it's been a choice. Yeah. because there have been other competing things but actually i've realized i need that um yeah. and i remember someone speaking recently said you know don't prioritize your diary diarize your priorities and yeah. i think that's that's the key thing we come to our diary in the morning and we're just simply prioritizing everything that's in there we're letting everything that's in there dictate yeah. but actually if we want to be more values driven and principle driven we have to diarize our priorities and, and what you've said there is a great example for me it's that white space um but for you it's your black time and yeah and your Friday mornings and your 20 minutes each morning. And I think that's, it takes intentionality, doesn't it? 
It, uh, and and you know, I did a, a my, my good friend George Anderson um, talked to me about this a lot in terms of you know intentionality. He uh, he he put me onto a book called Indistractable by Naya Eel many years ago, um, and he talks about you know understand what are the things that are going to distract you from your purpose, recognize them, and look at how you manage them. Because the word you said just now, choice, I think that's really key. You've been busy doing things, you've moved house, you're having a business, you've got a young family. So you prioritize other things rather than exercise, but at least you've recognized you've made a choice around it. You're not making an excuse for it. And I think that's the big key for me is it's recognizing what's your priority. You know, coming back to great Stephen Covey, we talk about, you know, urgent and important. And Stephen Covey was very clear about this, about understanding what are the things that are going to drive you to help you get to where you want to be going. How do you how do you prioritize those things which are important, not urgent? Because those are the things that could give you the biggest bang for the buck long term. And, you know, fitness for me, I know that feeling fit helps me move forward. And, and just recently, I've had, I've had a number of injuries which have stopped me doing some things. And I've noticed the impact on me. So I've had to develop other ways of doing things. So I'm spending more time doing my Pilates. I'm spending more time looking at how to keep my body flexible and fit at the moment, as opposed to running marathons. And for anyone who knows me, you know, marathons is what I used to do. But actually for me, I know that I need to keep myself fit. And it's just a, you know, there's a change in lifestyle, which I've suddenly realized I need to work on. But that's it's, it's, you don't just run marathons. You tend to run at marathons in crazy outfits. <laughs> Usually, uh, I remember seeing you run around the village dressed as a giant sun, I think, at one point. Yeah, or... that was it. Yes, that, that was it. That was uh, in my younger days, two years ago. Um, exactly. You know, and, and I did that. And, and interesting, you talked about you know, identifying everyone's uniqueness. I realized I had a unique ability to be able to do that. But it's not unique. A lot of people can do it. But I put a purpose on it. I made it a, made it a point of passion. So to me, when I was doing my training for my marathons in my costumes, I had to dedicate a lot of time to do that. So I would get up half past five in the morning, go out running. I would spend t- evening, evening time running. I started to fit in my business and my family life as well. But actually, I had to look at other ways of making it work for me. So that was, that was the choice piece. So that's really, it's really interesting, isn't it, how you come up with that and then turn that, that white space, and you talked about it, that space that can't be evaded by anything, because it's so important. And I think in business, we often get trapped and carried along on that that treadmill of doing things was actually if we just take that step back look at what we really need which comes back to you know come back to your very first point about your book know yourself lead yourself understand others because you can do that really well from the start you've got to know yourself and understand what drives you right at the beginning we're coming to the end of the conversation here i've got a got a question for you and you've you've written you've written this book um and i'd urge anyone to go and go and look at it read it listen to it um if you were to think of another book or another resource that's really inspired you over the last, over your life, effectively, what would you point to? And doesn't appear, what's the thing that's, that's inspired you or given you something that you think that's been invaluable? I'm just thinking, I've got all sorts of leadership books here. This is just one. Oh, no, that's not the right one. Um, yeah, if anyone's looking at this, Mark's got a pile of books behind him on a bookshelf <laughs> with, uh, with hundreds of books to choose from. Oh, here we go. I think it's interesting, is it? Because we all have these books. And we always think there's certain things out there. And it's a very disorganised study. Um, if, if you know where things are, though, that's the main thing. There we go. Um, so, um, so Anna Shackleton has always been an inspiration. So I'm, I'm, you know, I love the outdoors. I love walking mountains, yeah. skiing mountains, being outdoors. And he really inspired me. And if you've, if you want a book that, that can inspire you from a different generation, there's a great book where someone who's a sort of scholar of his life has written a book. Um, 
hold it up here called Shackleton's Way. Yeah, yeah, Margot Morel, yeah. Yeah, it's a great book. And and basically what she's doing is she is looking at leadership lessons from Shackleton. And one of the things that really struck me in this book is that you know Shackleton's often compared to someone like um Scott of the Antarctic, they two great explorers. Shackleton actually failed most of the expeditions he ever went on in terms of he never got to the goal. But I think he was a better leader than Scott of the Antarctic. And and the thing for me about Shackleton is that he learned through failure. Mm. So I think for me, one of the, the great lessons that I continue to want to reflect on is, you know, how when we mess up in life or when we struggle in life, yeah. um, how can we grow through those failures? How can we grow through those struggles? And in many ways, it's a bit of a sort of cliche, but as I've read somewhere, you know, the only failure in life is to not learn from our mistakes. And yeah. I'm sure we sort of all heard that in different ways. But for me, Shackleton is a great example of someone who had the ability to draw alongside folk who were different to him or difficult. Yeah. He's a really inspirational leader who never gave up. Yeah. Um, when he did fail, actually, I think he succeeded because he was the one who kept this whole team alive. Mm. And very few could have done that. And for me, he was a really sacrificial leader. Um, he was a leader who always put other people yeah. first. Yeah. Um, a bit like Simon Sinek's um, book, Leaders Eat Last. That, that yeah, yeah, yeah lovely one. Um, so I think someone like Shackleton, for me, is really inspirational, not just in what he achieved, but also in the kind of person he was and the kind of person he created or grew in the people he led. And so I think one of the litmus tests for me of a great leader is what do they leave behind them? Yeah. And, you know, I've got loads to learn on leadership. And although I've written this leadership book, it's just the beginning and and I want to keep learning and growing. But I think if I'm going to be effective as a leader, I want to ultimately let the litmus test for that be the people I've influenced. Mm-hmm. Long after I've gone, what kind of character have they got? What's their motivation? What influence have they had on others? Because I think that's often the strength of our leadership is seen not actually in ourselves, but in the people that we've influenced. Yeah, um, I love that. I love that. I can love you that, think that. yourself, Phil, you know, is there one person or an example of, of someone you'd look back on and think they have profoundly shaped who you are or your attitudes? You know, it's interesting, actually. I often reflect on this about thinking of who, who have impacted who I am. Um, and interesting, I'm an engineer by background, Mark. I, you know, I, I grew up low and I still love, engineering technology um, i love the way looking at the way things work my first company was um, was rolls royce uh, and one of the people that in fact two of the people if i think about you know um rolls and royce how they built that business up i think there's a real profound view there about that you know you can't do everything on your own mm. rolls needed royce and royce needed rolls and actually when you look at the way those two individuals came together i think there's a lot of inspiration to be taken from that now they built a luxury brand but that's not the way they started life you know they they were building something in the garage building something together um so i think if i go back to my time in derby the chance meeting of charles uh, of charles and and, uh, henry together um the midland hotel in derby there's some real passion there and i think there's a lot of learning for me from those two individuals alone about building a business persevering doing what you believe in and actually leaving a legacy, which you mentioned there about, you know, what you leave behind them. I think those, those are the two individuals, which I think would, would, I would say a massive influence. And again, that was my first career back in when I was 18, but that's where I would say that there's a big inspiration for me from what they did and how they did it. A good, good question. Thank you for that. 
So, so look, we're going to come to the end of the, the conversation here. And, and at some stage, I'm going to come back because there's lots of questions we didn't talk about here. Um, so I just want to say thank you. It's been a fascinating conversation. There's been so many takeaways for me from this. And, and I love your thinking about Shackleton's Way. And interesting, that book is on my bookshelf and I've only read half of it. So I'm going to go and dig that one out and add it to the pile of books to read. It's a good dipper. It's uh, you can yeah. dip in and out rather than read it cover to cover. I, I'm going to go and um, I'm going to go and get out. I'm looking for it now as we look behind me, but uh, it is there. So thank you, Mark. People want to obviously go and look at your your website, go and understand the, the book as well. Where can they pick it up from? Just to uh, to get that book themselves. Yeah, thanks. So um, the book's available on Amazon. It's a paperback, a Kindle, and it's just been recently done as an audio book. So you can get it through Amazon on Audible, also through iTunes. Um, so just if you type into um, Amazon, I'm not a leader, uh, Mark Herbert, it should come up. Brilliant. Um, I just hope it can be a really useful resource, both to help individuals, but even if someone's listening in who's a more experienced leader, it could be a great book to put into the hands of some of the younger, less experienced leaders in your teams or organisation and, and try and encourage them to feed themselves um, yeah. as leaders and grow. And, uh, you know, the book only came out in April, um, but I, I hope it will gain increasing traction and just bless people. That's kind of why I've written it. And um, yeah, if, if you were to write one book, Phil, what would the what would the subject be? <laughs> oh, no. So I've already written a book, Mark, um, and it's called Fancy Running. And it's Fancy Running with a question mark. Uh, it was my first book and I did it as an experiment. Because when I was running, I realized that I, I realized two things from my running. One is I realized I was good at it. Uh, in fact, three, three things. I also realized I was good at raising money as well. Um, and the other one I realized is I inspired people to do the same. So I used to love the, the look of people's faces I ran past in my silly costumes. Um, and I finished one of my marathons in costume and thought, I want to write a book about this. So I wrote a book called Fancy Running um, because I want people to look at the fact that fancy dress running is good fun. Fancy dress running can help you raise money, help you challenge yourself. Um, and there's lots of other things behind it. So that was my first book. Um, the next book, I think, is going to be more purpose led. But fancy running is my first one. The next one will be purpose led. I will let you know the title when I come up with it. I, li I like fancy running. I like the play on words there. It's cool. Yeah, it's, uh, you can also get that on Amazon if you want to. It's sold, yeah. I sold a few copies so far, but mainly to friends and family. <laughs> hey, don't we all? Well, Mark, Phil, thank you for having me on the show. I, I really appreciate this conversation. Um, I've always learned a lot from you, whether it's been, um, you know, your determination when we're we're doing running at circuit training and um, competing against each other, or whether it's just over a pint or a walk. Um, I've appreciated your friendship. I appreciate your wisdom and just how um, thoughtful you are about life and people. Um, so thanks for the friend you've been to me. And um, yeah, it's been great having a conversation with you this afternoon. Mark, thank you. I appreciate that. It's nice to, nice to hear that. And um, I look forward to doing this conversation again for a, a follow-up at some stage. So Mark Herbert, thank you very much. Thanks so much. So that concludes this episode of Sparks. Thanks for listening. We're always looking for ideas on how to drive this podcast forward. So if you've got comments, please leave them via a review of our show, along with your rating. Or send us an email to sparks at eveningconsult.com. <laughs>